Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to sing, I put my faith in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. He'll never let me down. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will Welcome to Creekside this morning. We're so happy that everyone can be here. Let's just say a word of prayer together. Father, um, we commit our morning to you. Uh, we are coming from many different places this morning, um, but we just ask that you would help us to focus our minds and our hearts on the great truths, the great hope that we have in knowing you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise. Arise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and mighty.
your name is a strong and mighty tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nations sing it louder there's nothing has the power to some verses from Psalm. You can go ahead and sit down for a few minutes from Psalm chapter 3. Um, these are just great words of comfort um, as we live in a world that sometimes feels like it's falling apart. And really, as I was thinking about uh, this chapter, it's, uh, it's so appropriate for the section that we are about to move into in the, in the book of Matthew is what we're going to see is Jesus increasingly surrounded by enemies and deserted by friends. And so listen to this chapter from Psalm 3. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. In a minute, we're going we're gonna to sing uh, the first six verses of Psalm 3, but also as we're thinking about this, how appropriate it is for, you know, people in uh, Ukraine who are under attack, um, you know, just even the fact that God is a shelter in times of natural disaster, uh, we want to continue to pray uh, for those affected by the tornadoes in, in the Winterset area. Um, but there is a practical thing that we can do. There are a couple of missionaries that we are affiliated with uh, that live in Romania but are very involved in ministering to some refugees from the Ukraine. Uh, so Dan and Georgiana Akins and Pablo and Bethany Calderon. Um, there's a couple ways you can give. Maybe, maybe the easiest way may be to go to cmml.us slash donate. There is a special uh, uh, option on there where you can give towards the Ukrainian um, uh, situation, but really I think those funds will, will go, uh, a large portion of those funds will go to Pablo and Bethany and Dan and Georgiana. There may be one other missionary in Poland that is also receiving some of those. Or another way, if you would like to give uh, towards those missionaries, if you want, you can also give uh, an offering here uh, through Creekside, put in the memo that you'd like to give towards um, missions, you know, maybe slash uh, Ukraine and those will be uh, directed uh, to help in those areas. Um, so we're going we're gonna to sing from Psalm 3, 1 to 6. Um, 
as a prayer. This is a familiar tune. Uh, if you know how to sing Amazing Grace, uh, you'll be able to sing this as well.
Uh, we have a couple of uh, announcements or special uh, things. Let's see. I'm just gonna I'm gonna call up uh, a few of the elders. Um, you know who you are. Come on up. Um, we're going to pray with Norb and Karen and Jude. Um, and I guess I'll just I'll let uh, Mark speak to that. You can go. You can take this, Mark. Yeah. Thanks. Um. You know, we still have Mary Bristow in Haiti. She decided to extend her ha uh, stay for a couple weeks, so keep praying for Mary down there. She felt like her work for the Lord was not done yet and uh, just followed the Lord's leading to stay a couple more weeks. Um, as well, Norb and Karen are following the Lord's leading to go tomorrow to Haiti to spend time with Judah Guzma. Um, you know, we praise God for the Lord blessing and growing our relationship with Jude and his ministry in Haiti over the past one to two years now, and uh, we, we've made Jude a part of our regular missionary support. So when you give to the quarterly missions offerings, a uh, piece of that is going to Jude, and we're providing that to him before he goes. Um, we just want to pray for them and ask the Lord's blessing over their time in Haiti that he would use them mightily. Lord, just thank you and praise you for how you are working around the world. We pray for our missionaries in Romania, that you would bless their efforts to help the Ukrainian refugees and the ministry of the gospel to them, that it might grow and spread even into Ukraine now. Mm -hmm. We pray for Haiti, people who are generally very poor and have little, but yet have life and a hunger. We pray for Jude, that your hand of anointing and blessing would be on him and his ongoing ministry, that you would bless his efforts to lead in the school and the church uh, through humanitarian efforts like the water wells, that your hand would be on all of it, that the gospel might go forward and that people would be brought into the Amen. kingdom of Christ. And be with our brother Norb and sister Karen now as they go and partner with Jude for a while. Um, may you give them safety and travel. And Lord, open doors of opportunity for the gospel to them. And Lord, may your divine appointments be brought before them. And may your blessing be upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it so much. I, I would like at this time to announce uh, a new member of Creekside Church, Travis Schilling. He's been with us for quite a while, but he, somehow through COVID and so on, we've just not communicated on announcing him as a member. So we thank you, Travis. Travis loves the Lord. Elders met with him and heard his testimony. He knows Jesus as Savior. Travis is a good man, he's an attorney, and he loves Jesus, and he's serving here at Creekside. So I just wanted to say a prayer for him. Father, we just pray your blessing to Travis. We thank you for the work that the Holy Spirit has done in his heart and his life, and he proclaims Christ as Savior, and he is serving you, Lord, serving here at Creekside. We just continue to pray for him, blessing in Jesus' name. Help us to surround him with love and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Norb. All right. Well, I don't know if the young people have been dismissed for Sunday school. Are they doing that today? Not happening today? Yeah, they need to be dismissed. So, young people, if you're 
in uh, Sunday school age, you need to be, uh, you are dismissed, and you're welcome to leave, and uh, teachers will take care of you at the back, so that's great. A few announcements coming down the pike. There's a lot of stuff in the bulletin. I would encourage you today is a little free food pantry day, so that's when we collect food for supplying the little free pantry, which is the blue box out in the parking lot, okay, up on a stick, and uh, that gets supplied. We work in partner with Arborville across the way, and they actually take the food and they make sure it gets stocked in there. We just help supply the food. So if you forgot or didn't have time to do it, you can still run some by tomorrow or later this afternoon, but the doors will be locked, so you need to contact somebody, but probably tomorrow would be a better time. And we'll get it out on Tuesday morning. That's when Megan will be in back in Tuesday morning. Also, uh, Shan's got a big uh, hullabaloo coming up, so on the 12th, they're going to be in bacon potatoes, so sign up out there. Uh, did I get that right? See, gotcha. Okay, so there's a sign-up sheet. And you can bring something, baked potatoes, in honor of the, their Irish heritage, which I'm not sure how many are really actually Irish, but they're going to claim it anyhow. Okay, and the other thing that I'd like to call your attention to is that we have an Easter egg hunt coming up, which has been one of our um, outreach opportunities in the church on the Saturday before Easter. Uh, we have a bunch of eggs filled with candy, and then we scatter them all throughout our, our area on, on the property and invite children and people from all over the community to come in and then we have them come in and they get some have some games and we do some stuff and we share the gospel with them so if you want to help with that there's a table out there with a bunch of shine bunch of sign up sheets on it you can find out and there we need some eggs so the little plastic ones and there's collect collector boxes out there in the entryway too so I'm probably forgot something but you can read the bulletin everything you need to know is probably in there uh, so I'd encourage you to do that, even though I'm not so sure you will, but I would encourage you to do that, and you can get up to date on what's happening. There are several people and several folks uh, that need our prayers and encourage you to be praying for them. Several of our uh, family, we know some families connected to the church who suffered damage last night in the storm, so be praying for them. I know down in the Carlisle Runnels area there was some, some damage in Norwalk. I haven't even talked to Paul and Mary, so I don't know. Paul, uh, did you guys have damage? You're okay? Okay, so uh, uh, was there a lot of damage in Norwalk? Okay, okay. So if you hear of some or if there's some way we can be of assistance or help out, you know, let us know. I'm not sure how much we can do, but we'd be glad to help out. We can be praying. So I'm going to invite you to pray for me, pray with me for these uh, issues, and we'll, we'll go on. Father... Uh, we just come to you this morning as people who realize our frailty as human beings, and we understand that you're sovereignly in control, we pray. I pray for many in our own church body who are hurting physically, they have ailments and, and struggles, and I, I don't even want to begin to, to mention uh, them because I'll, I'll skip and miss somebody. But Lord, you know, I just found out this morning that John Roskam's in the, in the hospital, and I pray that you would touch and and uh, heal his body. I pray that you would give uh, grace and strength to Ruth as they try to navigate that. We think of Marge, and I pray for Marge Madsen, and, and pray for you to continue to strengthen and restore her body to health, and, and, and Karen McFadden, who's recovering for Paul and Gail as they've been struggling with stuff. I, I, I know that you are a gracious and good God. We pray for your healing touch uh, upon them. 
pray for uh, Ken Taylor's uh, brother-in-law who had a, a fall and is uh, really not in good shape. We pray that you would touch his body. And more than anything, Lord, I pray you touch these hearts. Those that don't know you would come to know you. And those that know you would find grace and strength and courage in your grace and mercy. And Lord, there are many others I could go on and on, but I know that you care about them and I pray that you would touch their lives. I ask that you would open our eyes that we would behold the truths from your word that would encourage us to walk worthy, that would draw those who don't know you to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On Memorial Day, we celebrate, or we remember, we don't really celebrate, we remember those who sacrificed their lives so that we could be free. Enjoy liberty, freedom as a country. This morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 56, we're going to remember the submission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who in submission to authority brought about and provided for our salvation. Not our liberation as a country, but our liberation and the liberation of our souls. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there to Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 47. And we're going to look this morning at three manifestations of Jesus' willing submission that made possible our salvation. His submission makes our salvation possible. And it seems to me that as a result of that, this, His work and His submission would call those who don't know Jesus. It's an invitation for those who don't know Christ, to put their faith and their trust in Him. And it's not just a call for them, but it's, it, it should compel believers. It should move us in a number of ways. First of all, it should move us to rejoice that God is so merciful to those of us who don't deserve it. It should also uh, cause us to rest in the fact that God, God really has this. I don't know about you, but as I look around the world, I, I've been alive a long time, and uh, I've seen a lot, and the world is really uh, more chaotic and more volatile and more struggling than I've ever seen it. We can rest in God's sovereignty, and it should move believers to resolve in our hearts that we're going to live faithfully for God because we see the example that we have in our Lord. I'm going to read the text and invite you to follow along with me in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 47. And while he, that is Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. And then he came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place 
that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Three manifestations of Jesus' willing submission that provide our salvation and motivation for repentance and faith or for resolving, rejoicing, and resting in who God is. I invite you to consider with me, first of all, that as we look at the first few verses, verses 47 through the first part of verse 50, it's uh, Jesus is consenting to the betrayal. Our Lord consents to the betrayal, okay? So there's two aspects of, of betrayal that I think amplify Jesus' loving submission through his consent. Two aspects of it. First of all, we see that he experienced the sting of betrayal, verses 47 and 49. And while Jesus was, was still speaking, so he's still speaking in Gethsemane, the, the disciples are there in, in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is telling him, okay, it's time, get up, let's go, uh, it's about to happen. And while he's still speaking, the one who is betraying him, behold Judas, and Judas has been identified in Matthew 26 as the guy who's the treason in the midst he's the dirty rotten guy who's going to betray Jesus he's been betrayed he's been declared to be the one and notice how the text says that he designated him as one of the 12 and it's not just in this one the parallel text in 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 the other gospels he's one of the 12 intentionally highlighting I think the, the the treachery of his betrayal he came up accompanied by a multitude the text says now, who's this multitude? Well, different combinators have different ideas, but it seems to me it's pretty obvious that, that there were people who were temple guards who came up with clubs, the text says, following along in the text, and then there was a cohort of Roman soldiers, so a bunch of Roman soldiers, who were accompanying the high priests and the elders as those who would actually arrest Jesus, and they came up with swords. So it's a big group of people. There's a, a huge armed group of people who came to get Jesus under the cover of darkness, mind you, to an obscure spot so as not to trigger the crowds who were supporting of Jesus that might oppose what they're doing. So it's all clandestine operation, okay? They, they had it planned out in darkness. And Judas chose to turn over Jesus uh, so, to them. So from a human standpoint, you're like, really? A cohort was like, Several hundred soldiers. Okay. So it's like, it's a little over the top, don't you think? It's kind of like sending a SWAT team to arrest somebody who was jaywalking. Okay. So it's like somebody's crossing the street inappropriately and he got a SWAT team. Oh, got on, got on him. So they were way over the top in doing this. And what this, as we, as we walk through the text, the thing that struck me is there's, there's no uh, reminder that there's no amount of human effort that could have taken Jesus to the cross. And there's no amount of human effort that could have kept him from the cross. Here's our Lord consenting to, to, to the betrayal. Look at John chapter 18, verses 4 and 5. Jesus, therefore, knowing, this is what gets me, knowing all the things that were coming upon him. He wasn't clueless as to what was going down here came out into the open and said to them, whom are you seeking? So when they got there, 
the whole crowd, Jesus engaged them. He didn't run from them. He engaged them. Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, he didn't point to Judas and say, well, yeah, that's him. No, he said, I'm the guy. I'm whom you're after. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So the tactics of betrayal, coming at night, clandestine, secretly, are equally as devious as, as, as the timing. The tactics are, are equally as devious. So here's the tactics. I'm going to overshoot. Whomever I kiss, this is what he says, whomever I kiss sees that guy. Now a kiss was a common greeting. It still is in the, in the Near East and in Europe. It's a common greeting among friends. If you were with me in Europe and you had a close friend, somebody you had known before, you would go up to them, they would come up to you, and you would, you would greet them, and they would greet you with a kiss. Not me, because I don't know them, but they would greet, they would you know, make a handshake or just nod or whatever. But if you knew them, they would greet you with a kiss. And so here Judas approached Jesus immediately, and he, he faked his loyalty, and he faked his intimacy with Jesus. Or for those of you who are into fashion design or, or into uh, HGTV and watching home design, it was faux loyalty, okay, F-A-U-X. It was fake. Isn't that, I, I, I'm sorry, I had to say this, it just annoys me how we, how we um, enamor that which is really fake. You know, like, well, it's faux wood. Yeah, I mean, it's fake. It's not the real deal. So here was fake loyalty, fake intimacy. And the sting of betrayal was, was palpable. It was, it, you could taste it. When he cried out to Jesus, Rabbi, which is a term of endearment, that Jesus was somehow his teacher, his master, of respect. And then he kissed him, all as a front for his treachery. The sign of friendship became the kiss of death. For Jesus. You think about that. Let that soak in. Here is Jesus with his disciples, just got through with excruciatingly gut wrenching prayer to his Father. If it's possible, if there's any way that you can pass this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be, your be done. And then, next thing you know, Judas is there. Oh, kiss Rabbi, Rabbi, oh yeah, kisses him. Boom, that's the guy. And then Jesus, you know, it pierced his heart. Had to. Judas had been with him for the last three years. Closest group of people. And so Jesus experienced the sting of that betrayal. And then he exercised submission. The first part of verse 50 says this. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have come for. Jesus addressed the fiend as a friend. It wasn't what Judas thought of Jesus. It was what Jesus thought of Judas. The story I heard one time about a, a soldier. He was a Christian soldier. And he was, his superior officer was berating him and belittling him and demeaning him. And just despised him because of his Christian faith. And at one point, this soldier was asked by the superior, the commander, what he thought of his superior that, that hated him. 
And the soldier gave a glowing review of his superior officer who hated him. And the commander knew that this superior was demeaning to, the, to this regular soldier and said, how is it that you speak so glowingly of a guy who despises you? And he said, well, you ask my opinion of him, not his opinion of me. And here we have Jesus. I think, friend, is somewhat of a, a last-ditch effort of Jesus to extend compassion and empathy towards Judas to, to give him an opportunity to redeem himself. No, he wouldn't choose it. Also, we see other places where this term friend, in, pa- in fact, I think it was when Kyle was preaching through the wedding passage, and there was this friend who was at the wedding feast who was clothed inappropriately and asked to leave. And so sometimes friend is used as a term for those who are on the, on the way out. I think a little bit of both is probably in, in play here with, with Judas, okay? And then he says, Jesus said to him in, in verse 50, do what you've come for. He exposes Judas's depravity, he exposes Judas' wickedness, and, he, and exalts Jesus. Okay, he's surrendering to it. He's submitting to this betrayal. And though Jesus was fully aware that Judas's actions were done out of a hypocritical hard heart, he didn't resist. He didn't fight it consented to this insidious treachery nothing Jesus was doing at this point was for Jesus everything Jesus was doing at this point was for us and for his father he chose he chose to be led as a lamb to the slaughter he chose To take the iniquity of us all who deserved the wrath of God upon himself. He chose it and submitted to it. He willingly submitted to this unjust and treacherous situation. To provide salvation for the likes of the people who were enacting it upon him. Think about that. The very people who were responsible for his demise, he was dying for them. His pain is our gain if we repent and believe. Oh, what a Savior. He consented to the betrayal. Our Lord cooperated with the arrest. In in verse 50, the end of the verse, it says this, Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And there are two specific ways that that Jesus uh, cooperated with with this arrest. And it's not just verse 50. I'm sorry in your outline. It should be 50 through uh, a few other verses. Okay, so that's my bad for uh, not not continuing it out. But anyhow, first of all, two specific ways that Jesus showed his submission through cooperation. First of all, Jesus willingly accepted the seizure. It made me think of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 
uh, verses 19 and 20. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. There he was. He was suffering unjustly and he was taking it patiently and this finds favor with God. Jesus had broken no Roman law. He had broken no Judaistic law. He had done nothing wrong, and yet he was being arrested, and he was submitted to the gravest and most humiliating of of arrests and trial and prosecution. I can't help but I thought of, you know, our brother in Christ, James Coates, pastor up in Canada, who was arrested because he decided that God's command that the church should continue to meet together was more important than the prime minister's command that the church should be closed. And so he kept meeting and he, went, he was arrested. Jesus is the righteous person here in the story, okay? And he permitted the rebellious people to punish him so that he could provide their pardon. Our pardon. So the righteous suffering for the unrighteous to provide salvation for the unrighteous. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. And he didn't just accept the seizure, he adamantly refused support. So this section is really the end of verse 50 through verse 53, okay? There are three lessons that I want us to draw from uh, the drama that unfolds that teach us to rest in rather than to resist God's plan. What I hear, see here in the text is that Jesus is resting in God's plan, his sovereign plan for the redemption of mankind, rather than resisting it. When we see Peter and the other disciples kind of wanting to resist God's plan. Okay? First of all, we, we, naturally, we tend to naturally rely on our own human ingenuity, our own human plans, right? When the disciples saw that uh, Jesus was arrested, uh, they asked, and this is in Luke, okay? It doesn't say it in this text, but in the parallel of Luke, it says, they asked, shall we, stri- shall we strike with the sword? But before they could do anything, <laughs> Mr. Impetuous himself, Mr. Well-intentioned, impetuous Peter, uh, drew out his sword and struck Malchus's ear, off, and we know that from other texts that it was Malchus, the priest, the priest's, the high priest's slave, and they, John identifies the one who did it as, as Peter. He drew his sword and he cut it. Once, here he is, he's well-intentioned, but here's Peter, and he's misguided in his actions. He, we've seen it before, back in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus says, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die at the hands of the elders and the chief priests. And the third day I'll be raised from the dead. And what does Peter say? Oh, no, Lord, you can't do that. Well-intentioned, impetuous, but not on God's plan. We don't see it here, but in John chapter 13, some of you are familiar with the story when Jesus in the upper room takes a, a towel, wraps it around himself, the basin of water, and says, I, goes around and starts washing the disciples' feet. He gets to Peter, and what does Peter say? Oh, you're not going to wash my feet. There again, impetuous, well-intentioned, but misguided. And here we see him again. And God had expressed his plan. And Peter knew 
of, of, of God's plan. He thought, Peter did, that he could do by force what God said is, gonna, is the work of the Spirit in the spiritual realm. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 4 and 5, Paul lets us know that we, we wrestle, you know, that, not that's Ephesians 6, but our, our battle is a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Okay? So, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses, we're destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Armed conflict is not God's way of imposing His will or advancing His kingdom. You know, It's not the way God wants it. I see in Peter kind of the militant uh, attitude that resides in, 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 in any of us, any follower of Jesus, that's prone to trust or turn to and trust in our own ingenuity, our own fleshly resources, our own physical capabilities to accomplish God's purpose. I mean, Jesus proved faithful and Peter was found fighting God. All right? So when God's plan conflicts, when his expressed purpose in the scripture conflicts with my perspective, our perspective, when it conflicts with our preferences, when it conflicts with popular culture, are we going to resort to human fleshly means and conclude, for example, and again, I want to make these examples that I'll make you clear, I don't believe in this, but if we resort to human earthly means, we can go down this road where we would say that celibacy before and fidelity after marriage become negotiable if we're just relying on our human fleshly needs and desires and it doesn't seem to comport with popular culture or maybe my own perspective we can go down the road of saying gender identity and the definition of marriage become fluid rather than fixed that forgiveness is nice but it's not really necessary physical force seems justified in that mindset to end world hunger or stop abortion or to uh, preserve my religious freedoms if we're not careful we're going to be guilty what Gamaliel charged uh, the chief priests and elders of in Acts chapter 5 verse 39 of fighting against God you see Bombing abortion clinics is not God's plan. The crusades were not God's plan to you know, in, you know, spread the gospel. Whenever there's a, this use of physical force to somehow advance the kingdom of God or his purposes, no, that's not what God is involved in. Secondly, uh, we're rebuked for misplaced dependency. In verse 52, Jesus said to them, to him, put your sword back in its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. He gives a first reason for not trusting in our own ingenuity, for not trusting in physical force to fulfill God's purposes, to advance the kingdom of God. Why should you not do that? Violence begets violence. The drug cartels are in a constant cycle of violence against each other. That's not the way... Christians should be interacting in the world. <laughs> you know, we don't take our clue from them. We don't take our pattern from them. No. 
Believers are not to follow suit. Jesus repeats the divine principle. It's given in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. And it says this, Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. So, as I said, bombing abortion clinics or the Crusades to advance the kingdom, that, that's not helpful. That's not God's plan. Now, notice he didn't tell Peter to discard his sword, which is interesting. He said, put it in its place. So what is the place for the sword? The place for the sword is to defend your person, to defend your property, to engage in perhaps a, a just war. It is in the hands of the police and the military of a well-meaning, good, and intentionally right government. It's a place for the sword. But it wasn't the place at that point in time. And so Jesus says, put it in its place. Peter's courage is not commendable here. <laughs> He's, he's, he's condemned. He's condemned. So he says, no, don't do that. Because he was in opposition to God's plan. I hope we understand that. It's not that, that Jesus didn't say, well, it's nice that you try to defend me. No, but you're standing in the way of God's plan, just like he was back in Matthew chapter 16, when he says you're not going to the cross. He was standing between Jesus and the cross. And that was God's plan for Jesus. And so he said, no, you, you cannot go there. God opposes us taking justice into our own hands. Of deciding by fleshly means that we're going to advance the cause of Christ with, with violence. No, that's not, us. that's not us. That's not God's people. Thirdly, we're reminded of Jesus' superiority. There's another reason for not relying upon our own ingenuity and not relying upon our own use of physical force to advance the kingdom of God. Why? Because God really has it under control. Jesus says, do you not know um, that, uh, verse 53, I'll read it. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father? And if he appeals to his father, and his father is good, and it's according to God's will, then God will certainly answer it, his father. He says, and he will put it once, put at once, at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now, a legion is 6,000. Okay. So 6,000 angels times 12 minimum, at least, he said, you know, 12, that's 72,000 angels. And we're not just talking about, you know, your, your mamby-pamby, you know, little angel on the shelf, you know, mild, meek, and mild spoke. We're talking about avenger angels. Okay. We're talking about dudes that take out 185,000 Assyrians with one fell swoop, like in Isaiah chapter 37. We're talking about dudes that go into the lion's den and shut the lion's mouths. We're talking about 6,000 times 12. Do you see how laughable it is that Peter is bringing a sword? To fight what God could wipe out like that. Human swords are no match for the sword of the Lord. No match for the angels of the Lord. The great multitude was no match. Jesus was no victim here. 
That's the point that drives home. He's no victim. No. But by his submission, he provided for our salvation. So if you're listening, you're here, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I challenge you to take a step back and look, this dude did it for you. And he could have stopped it, dead in its tracks. And he could have not gone to the cross, but he was willingly willing to die to set you free from the bondage of your sin that has you destined for an eternity apart from him. I just challenge you to repent and believe in this Jesus who loved you enough to die in your place. And for those of us who know believers, wow, you know, the world's chaotic. But we can rest in a sovereign God who has this in control. Twelve legions of angels just in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's got it under control. We can trust that he's not caught off guard. He's not, whoops, didn't really see that coming. I didn't really know Putin was going to you know, march into Ukraine. That, that, one, that one caught me off guard. I guess we're scrambling now. What's plan B here, angels? What do you think we should be doing? I'm not sure about that. Oh, no. He's got it. He does not need our violent help, but he wants us to humbly trust him. See, our Lord, he, he consented to the betrayal, as painful and as anguishing as it was. He cooperated with the arrest. And thirdly, we see that our Lord complied with what God's Word said. In verses 54 through 56, we see this, and He models two forms of surrender that challenge me, I think challenge us to be faithful. First of all, and I put them in the form of a question, are we committed to the Word of God? Notice it says in verse 54, how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? He was committed to see the word of God fulfilled. Jesus' concern was that it would be exactly as God said it would be. He could have altered history, but if he had altered history, then the word of God would not have been true, and what would our confidence in the reliability of scripture been what would our confidence be in the sufficiency of scripture what would our confidence be in the inerrancy of scripture zippo jesus could have altered it but he if he did that it, credibility would have gone and peter had, had had been reminded on at least three occasions that this was going to happen that jesus was going to the cross he had been reminded in matthew chapter 16 he had been reminded in matthew chapter 17 verses 20 through 22 he'd been reminded in matthew chapter 20 verse 19 this was the way of the cross he threw it out the window the prophets had said it must happen this way and when when jesus says that the prophet said it's a distillation i think of all that the prophets wrote that come together in Christ's passion. The prophets wrote a lot, a lot of stuff, about a lot of stuff, but he says that it must happen this way, as the prophets say, is a distillation of it all into the passion of the Christ, his, his moving to the cross and his crucifixion and his resurrection and his, his burial. Isaiah 53 captures it best in verses 3 through 6 and the whole of chapter 53, actually. He was despised and abandoned by men. Well, we see that here. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness, like one from whom people hide their faces, and he was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sickness that he himself bore, our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed uh, 
that he had been afflicted and struck down by God and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses and he was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being, that's the key, the punishment for our well-being fell upon him. That's the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. He bore the wrath of God to satisfy God's punishment on our sin. And by his wounds were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So he could fulfill the word. At great cost. Gives us confidence in the reliability of the word. It gives us courage to follow the word of God even when it costs us. Jesus did it. He wants us to follow the word. Two implications. First of all, surrender to this Christ. He is the king. His word is true. And he fulfills it. He wants you to repent and believe so you can be saved. And those of us who know God, I mean, this is his plan. You know, When God promised, his promise was fulfilled, if, if we ignore it, if we ignore the fact that this was the plan of God and he promised that he would redeem us through his person and work of Jesus, and we ignore it, we do so to our own peril. And I am, you know, I know you say, well, man, you say that every week. Somebody chastise me if I don't. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. There is no life apart from Christ. And so if we do not share that message, we might as well close up shop. Then stay obedient to the word. Don't just surrender to him, but stay obedient to the word, even when it costs us, because it will not fail. I ran across this clip, uh, and I want to play this uh, clip for you. Cost and just, I just said, okay, I've had enough of this. And I remember going back to my wife and saying, I've had enough of the hypocrisy. Yeah, I'm going to call it right now. I think I found the Steve. Oh, that's not the clip. That's the commercial. Should we start again or not? Maybe not. Okay, I've had enough of this. And I remember going back to my wife and saying, I've had enough of the hypocrisy where nobody's pointing it out. And I started getting more vocal. Of course, we had, now we had all these, you know, social media was starting to grow in its infancy, but we started to take off. And I started saying stuff. My wife said, you better look out. They're going to come after you. And I said, all I said was two plus two is four. I spoke the truth. That's just truth. But she was, she was right. And I got to a point with my agent, who was a big-time agent, I was with a long time, and my manager just said, uh, we can't represent you anymore. I said, why? Well, because you're conservative and you're a Christian, and, you're, and I was like, what? Okay, maybe you know who that guy is, maybe you don't. Uh, chances are maybe now you don't because he got canceled. Uh, but his name is Kevin Sorbo, and he, uh, some of you, I don't know this, I never watched Hercules, but he was in Hercules, and he was in, he's been in several movies, but he got cut out of the, the Hollywood scene. He was a big-time actor, and he got, because he's a Christian, because he's a conservative. They cut him out. So this is my point to us as, as children of God. It, it, it's going to cost us to follow the word of God. 
And so are we ready for that? Secondly, are, are we confident in the will of God? In verse 55, at that time, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a robber? Every day I used to sit with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. I mean, it's like the sarcasm is, in the, is just palpable. Just like his sarcasm is real, and he's pointing out their cowardice and their corruption. It's like, look, dudes, I was in the, I was in the temple every day. I mean, it's, I, I didn't have any swords with me, didn't have any ammunition. You could have just grabbed me and taken me out. Why didn't you do it? You're cowards. You know, he didn't say that. I said that. Okay, but I think he's implying that if they wanted him so badly, they'd just grab him. See, Satan. Not sanity is driving the train here. This is not, uh, this is illogical. But it's not without understanding. Because God is, is working. It's a clandestine operation. They weren't interested in justice. They weren't interested in the truth. They were interested in vengeance. And getting rid of this guy who was making it bad for them. Though illogical, the situation wasn't accidental. Look at verse 56. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Through the mob's unwitting actions, they were actually taking part in fulfilling God's promises. They didn't know it. They didn't know it, but they were... And and the promises that were given in the scriptures so that the prophets would be fulfilled. And they were taking part in it. And they were doing it. God was sovereignly using them to fulfill his righteous and gracious purposes. The reconciliation of rebellious people. And Jesus went along with the Father's will and the fulfillment of God's word because he trusted God's heart. You see, when we rely upon the fact that God is actually sovereignly working in the hearts and lives and people of men it gives us confidence to trust in God's sovereignty God's working I don't understand it I can't get my hand around it or my head around it but I can trust the fact that God knows and he's working and he's doing it to fulfill his sovereign plan when we don't as the song says see his hand and we can't understand we trust his heart and we trust his word because that's where he reveals his heart but the disciples weren't comforted by that God was in control no so they left And they fulfilled what Jesus had said. They left. There's two kinds of disciples here. There are false disciples, like Judas. They've been surrounded by the truth. Okay, stop and listen here. Because some of the people listening to this are false disciples. Chances are. Maybe maybe you aren't. I hope you aren't. But chances are. False disciples. They've heard the truth. You know. they've They've... been surrounded by it, they've soaked up the truth, they've sat in church, they sat in Sunday school, they sat at home, and they seem to have embraced the truth, but they really don't own the truth. They haven't embraced God's word, and they haven't embraced God's son. They're pretenders. They want to direct their own lives. They want to be in charge, captain of their own ship, make my own way in life. Right, don't want to surrender to to Jesus who can be the captain, no. And the result is painful. Don't harden your heart. That's what my message is. Don't harden your heart against God. Turn and trust in Him. Repent and believe. Peter and the eleven, I think, are not false disciples. They're faulty disciples. (laughs) A whole lot more of us can fit into this category. I hope. 
or faulty disciples. We resist God's plan in favor of our own. I got a plan, God has a plan. No, used to do this in the four laws. God has a wonderful plan for your life, you know. Well, yeah, I know, but, you know, I, I have a wonderful plan for my life, too. And if God wants to come along, that's good. But if he doesn't, well, you know, maybe I'm just going to run my own show. You see, when we resist God's plan in favor of our own, it's usually out of insolence, pride. God wants me going this way, I'm not going that way. It's out of ignorance. I'm really not sure what God's word says, and really, quite frankly, some of us don't want to find out. Right? I don't want to read too much of God's word because he really might send me on that banana boat to Africa and be a missionary. And I'm not sure I want to go there. Or finally, we're just impatient with God. You know what, God? You're just not working fast enough for me, so I have a plan, and I'm going to charge ahead. I used to have this brother in Christ who used to say, I don't want to run ahead God's plan. I don't want to run behind or come behind God's plan. I just want to be right there in, in God's plan. My dad, bless his heart, when I was, uh, uh, I don't know, I think I, I was in college, he, he went out and he, he contracted for me to uh, detassel corn. Uh, he contracted three acres of corn for me to detassel. Okay, and for those of you not familiar with this, is uh, three acres is a big patch. Okay, and so you have to walk through the walk through the corn, and you you have to physically by hand pull the tassels off of the corn. You know, like this, uh, three acres, which is a lot. And so uh, I, I, and my dad contracted, but he helped me. And what you need to know is my dad is very very allergic to corn, so the corn leaves if they brush upon, he just breaks out in a huge rash. And so my dad was willing to sacrifice. And he was willing to, to, to do this for me. And his sacrifice calls for a response. And how much more? Jesus' sacrificial submission that purchased our pardon calls for a response. And I'm going to say it again. If you're here listening and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, the call for you is to repent and to believe that this Jesus, who was willing to endure the humiliation of betrayal, willing to endure the physical reality of an arrest and a brutal trial and an unjust trial and crucifixion, who did it for you, repent and believe. For believers, oh, what a Savior. Consented to the betrayal. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed with someone close to you. But I, I would never want to consent to that. It's too painful. And then he cooperated with the arrest. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, he could have called 12,000, 12 legions of angels, 72,000. Boom, we're done. It, it, it just... I gaze upon him and think, he did this to redeem me. How can I not rejoice? How can I not rest in his sovereignty? He's in control. How can I not resolve to live my life for him? A godly, faithful life. How can I resist telling others about this Savior who did it for me. As 
Peter says, how can I not proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light? It's 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to read to you a passage in 1 Corinthians. Here it is. For I deliver to you as of first importance that which also I received, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. Now get this. Why did I say that? Because the gospel doesn't come to us in a vacuum. It's about a real person. About a real life. Who was sacrificed on our behalf. And we rejoice, remember, and celebrate it when we take the bread and the juice. To remind us. Yeah, he... Walked into that betrayal. Yeah, he leaned into that arrest. And he did it so that I could be saved. And so as you take the the bread and the cup, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just invite you to think about that before you take it. He, He consented to betrayal for me. He cooperated with arrest for me. He complied with the word of God for me. And take it. With gratitude, the one whose submission provides our salvation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would wash over my soul and drive home the truths of these, this word, uh, your word to me, so that I come to understand and, and rejoice more fully in the salvation that is mine, that I rest more completely in the sovereignty of a God who loves me and has things under control, that I would resolve more faithfully, to be more faithful, to live more faithfully. May that be true of each of us, we pray in Jesus' name.
Jesus has done for us. Um, we just look at the way he went to the cross. His mind was made up. Uh, nothing could turn him back from his purpose and his mission. Father, we uh, just see that example and we're humbled, Father, because we look at ourselves uh, and so many times we are like the disciples that fled, um, that all took off and left him behind. And Father, we just pray that you would help us as we look at Jesus, that we would... Um, just be encouraged and reminded what a great Savior we have, what a great God we have. Um, our hope is found in nothing else but the blood of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to give to the offering, you can do that uh, in the offering box. It's in the foyer. Let's go ahead and stand together as we sing our final song.
See 